We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. I am your host for today's show, Alex Golden, and of course, I'm usually joined by Kent Sterling. We will be uh, together for the second segment, but to recap that Pacers-Mavericks game, I've got the one and only Jake Elrod with me. Jake, what's going on, man? Not too much. How you doing, Alex? I'm doing pretty good, and before we get started, I just want to let everybody know that today is your birthday, and of course, there's nothing you'd rather be doing than staying up late at uh, late on a Sunday night to recap some Pacers basketball on your birthday. Is that right? Oh, of course, man. Stuffed myself to death today and then almost lost it all in that nail-biter of a game, and now we get <laughs> to talk about it to end the day. A- absolutely. So let's let's kind of walk through this game here a little bit. Pacers pull it out 112-109. They go 4-1 and one on the road trip. I mean, that's pretty impressive considering all the injuries that they had. So uh, but before we do that and get into the, the road trip, I just want to talk about this game. So I wasn't able to watch it live. I'm going to go back and watch it later. But you watch the game. I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, it, it was a great game to cap off really a Grand Slam road series. I mean, you know, you go four and one in this road series, first time since 92. Kristen Area pointed that out. Uh, so that that's obviously just a Grand Slam to cap this off. And, you know, it was one of the top five wins of the season, in my opinion. I mean, you can put it up there with the Lakers win or, you know, the, the Nuggets win on the road was another huge one. And, you know, it's just right up there with those wins, any of them. And I think it stacks up well. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this game. I I was able to listen to the last little bit of it. Uh, I saw that, or I heard Oladipo hit the go-ahead shot, then he knocked down two free throws. I saw Miles Turner had some really great defense in the end of that series uh, with Dallas coming down trying to score. And it looks like the Pacers really just, you know, came back after Dallas kind of, they were trading leads back and forth basically from what I'm seeing here. And it just seems like the Pacers were able to pull it out in the end, and Dallas wasn't. So uh, let's just start first half. You know, the Pacers were up by six. So uh, after the first quarter, anything that stood out in that quarter to you, you know, fast start because that's something we've been struggling with? Yeah, fast start for sure. I mean, I, I thought, you know, one of the things I was looking at was how was Victor and Aaron going to do uh, with obviously Malcolm being out for this stretch, for an upcoming stretch. And, you know, who knows what other injuries he's going to face in the future. And honestly, I thought they looked good. I mean, I think the fit looks good on paper. And it was just kind of how is Aaron going to look, you know, actually on the court next to Victor and how is Victor going to look next to him. And, you know, I thought both of those guys look good. We got off to a really fast start. Um, you know, Miles got involved early offensively and you know, like he's done the entire uh, road trip, he he played great offensively and really, I think, sparked the team on that end of the floor, um, you know, and, and it was just a situation where the Pacers were kind of able to buck a trend um, of poor starts. And, and, you know, I think it really set the tone for the rest of the game. The fact that they were able to put up 31 points in the first quarter, which is something that we've talked often about with this team, that starting unit just doesn't get going the way we expect it to or hope it does. And I think that that was just absolutely huge for them uh, to be able to stay in front of Dallas early on. How, how did the bench rotation look with, once again, no Doug McDermott? And, of course, you know, Aaron's playing with the starters now, so he's not playing much with the bench. What did you think about that bench unit? Bench unit. Yeah, I mean, you know, you obviously throw in Edmund Sumner in there a little more. And, uh, you know, I mean, Justin Holiday got his usual 20 plus minutes. Um, you know, Jakar has been continuing to get run. I, I thought it was I thought the rotation was good. Um, you know, I like the way that, you know, Nate McMillan subs out uh, Sabonis with uh, Holiday. I like the way he's rotating Sabonis and Turner in together a little more um, and, and, you know, mix, mix matching that a little bit better. I think he has more confidence in that duo to rotate them as need be. And, um, you know, all in all, I thought they did a good job of kind of balancing it and obviously Justin Holiday every time he comes in you know just seems to impact the game in a positive way on both ends of the floor so uh you know I give him a ton of credit for what he's done and then Edmund Sumner I mean you know really hasn't gotten any run up until recently until the injury is piled up and I think he's done a really commendable job um on both ends of the floor and and you know really earning some of these minutes he, he's been getting Love to see those guys that don't usually get an opportunity, like Jakar, like Edmund, getting a chance now, and they're making the most of their opportunity. They're being efficient, being effective, and doing what they can. But I want to talk now about the Dallas Mavericks. You know, Kristaps Porzingis, 3 of 17. I, I saw my guy Fachi making jokes about uh, not being able to find Porzingis' shot. So huh. 3 for 17, 9 points, 0 of 5 from 3. What was going on with him in this game? 
That was the Miles Turner effect, man. I mean, I thought Sabonis had some good possessions on him as well, but overall, it was it was just Miles Turner doing what he does. Um, you know, he he really locked him down. Przingis had trouble with him all night. Miles has the length to match him, and you know, I think he's one of the bigs that you know really can't out muscle Miles. So you know, it becomes a problem for him with with a guy like that with his type of athleticism and length. And you know, he really just locked him down all night. It was really um, you know the anti last game where he just really co- couldn't miss. This game, he wasn't able to make much of anything and I thought a lot of that was because they really just stuck Miles Turner on him uh you know and didn't allow him to get going and that was really a key factor in us winning this game you mentioned Miles Turner being really effective this entire road trip and I I really think the last you know going back to before the all-star break that game against Milwaukee we really have seen a difference in Miles Turner and his style of play and the the level of energy that he's playing with he he joked about how coffee has helped him but what have you seen improve from Miles Turner throughout the last handful of games that has really helped this Pacers team elevate, you know, despite all the injuries? Well, I think coffee helps everyone, so we can relate to that. But in terms of his game, in terms of his game specifically, it's just a more aggressive guy. I mean, you know, I think occasionally he still needs to just take shots when they're there, you know, but his ability to take guys off the dribble, um, you know, obviously his defensive intensity. I think also, too, the, the coaches have done a better job of just putting him on other teams' good scores. And letting him work. I mean, he's one of the few players in this league that you can honestly say can guard one through five. I mean, unless it's like, you know, a Kemba Walker, just someone, you know, ridiculously outrageous. But, you know, one through five. You can put him on them and have confidence in that. And and they did that tonight. You saw him on Luca. You saw him on Porzingis. You saw him even a couple times on Hardaway on the perimeter. I mean, they really did what they had to do to put Miles in position to make defensive plays. And when Miles is making defensive plays, it translates to offensive plays. And he's doing a much better job of taking advantage of his offensive opportunities because, you know, a lot of people say Miles needs more shots or Miles needs more plays. That's probably not going to happen just with how spread out our offense is and the, the guys that we have like Warren and Sabonis and now Oladipo's in the fold. And when Brogdon's healthy, he has to take advantage of those opportunities. And he's doing a much better job of knocking down those shots and being aggressive when he has the ball in his hands. And, you know, I, I just completely agree with you that he's playing much better basketball. He was honestly our X factor in this five game series, in this five game stretch on the road and you know I think honestly he's playing it at a defensive player of the year level right now this is what we saw last year of him and you know prior to the stretch of the all-star break I had honestly felt like his defense had maybe taken a little bit of a step backwards um, just in terms of his on-ball defense and and now it's just it's back to the level it was and I think you're just seeing that translate to the offensive end of the court and I think that's where his game is is bred completely it's just a defensive minded game and when he gets engaged and he's active that turns into confidence in his shots confidence in when he touches the ball and that leads to scores and I think that's why you're seeing his game just become elevated and he's becoming the impact type player that we know he can be yeah I agree with you completely about Miles because I really believe if he is playing like this 16 points 13 rebounds three blocks I mean we know that that's probably not going to be a stat line every game but if he can play with that consistent energy level uh, I said it a couple weeks ago with Kent Sterling I really feel like he could be the X factor for this team come a playoff series. And you said it for this entire road trip, he was the X factor. I mean, even though the Pacers got blown out by Milwaukee, 
you saw him play some pretty solid defense on Giannis for as good as you're going to be able to put on him. I mean, who else are we going to throw on Giannis on this Pacers team? Uh, no one's big enough. No one's you know fast enough to stay with him. It's really just impressive to see Miles continue to grow as a player, and I'm excited to see what he does in the playoffs because that's when it's really going to come down to it, see what him and Sabonis can do in the playoffs. But uh, just to transition here a little bit before we kind of wrap this this segment up, T.J. Warren came off of an injury, wasn't able to play Friday against the Bulls. Back tonight, ends up fouling out. Still pretty productive, though, 7-13 for 16 points. What were your thoughts on T.J. Warren's return tonight? I thought he was good. I mean, I don't think he got enough shots. I think, you know, we've been on the same page with this, that TJ Warren probably needs to be up around 17, 18, 19 shots per game. And I felt like Victor kind of, you know, was forcing things, especially, you know, in the first half where he was just kind of chucking up shots. And, you know, he he needs to learn when to take a backseat to TJ. And I think was one of those nights where he struggled with that. And TJ didn't get enough usage. You know, 13 shots, I think, is just a crime when you have a guy shooting, you know, 53% and scoring almost. 19 a game and Dallas was struggling in the paint I mean that's another big thing is you know this was really a game where TJ Warren could eat them alive as was Sabonis in the paint you know so the fact that he got 13 shots is my biggest issue but you know everywhere else he was good he had that possession where he fouled Luca three times it was unfortunate uh that kind of ended his night and that's unfortunately probably something you're going to see on a bunch of national highlights but it wasn't reflective of the game he had he had a really good game um you know I, I commend him for taking that challenge of being on Luca and you know, I mean, Lucas shot under 50% for the game. I think he was 13 of 26 from the floor. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, you give up 36 points, it doesn't look good in a vacuum, but, you know, if you can hold a guy like that to a low shooting percentage and make him shoot a high volume, that that's big for your team. I mean, honestly, uh, Hardaway was the guy that was really just eating us alive on every possession. Donkic wasn't even you know, really a problem possession after possession. I think Hardaway was much more efficient and much more of a problem on the perimeter. So I thought Warren did a, did a solid job on, on Luka, and obviously offensively we know what he's capable of. I just think the Pacers really need to wrap their head around this is really TJ Warren's offensive team right now until Victor refines himself and gets back to what he was before if he ever does and I just still feel like they aren't embracing that right now and they really need to do that because he takes his offensive ceiling to the next level when they allow him to go in and just dominate guys and I felt like they missed an opportunity for him to do that in this game yeah that's a good point you bring up and we have talked about that a lot off air because you know, we, we love Victor Oladipo. We're excited that he's back, and we know that he can do great things. And we saw tonight in the clutch, you know, he got uh, he turned the ball over, got it stolen from him, his shot got blocked, then he came down and hit a big three or a big shot. So, you know, not a three, just a shot. But uh, it's one of those things where you know Victor is the guy you want with the game on the line. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've seen T.J. Warren mm. with the ball in his hands with the game on the line this year, and we haven't gotten great results. So, you know, I'm fine with, you know, trying to maybe take some of those field goal attempts off of Oladipo, give him to Warren, let him get a little bit more of a rhythm going because, you know, 33% shooting-wise for Oladipo, it's not ideal. We we talked about we want him around 14, 15 shots a game, you know, shooting around 50%. You know, 0-5 from three, that's going to happen. But I'm glad he's at least out there. He's effective defensively. That's one of the things you can't knock on Oladipo is his defense has been pretty solid all year uh, since he's come back from that injury, taking charges. Uh, not not as great of a defender as he was before the injury, but still, you know what I mean, there's still improvements and mm-hmm. there's still 
production out of that defensive position from him. But overall, you know, I'm excited about the way this team is playing right now. Despite all the injuries, despite all the adversity, the road trip wasn't that difficult. But to get road wins against San Antonio, against Dallas, um, you know, going into Cleveland, a team that's got Andre Drummond that has just, you know, torn the Pacers apart, getting that win, I would say this was a really quality road trip. Four out of five, that's amazing to me. Yeah, and like I said, Denari pointed out, first time since 92 that happened. We've had three five-game road trips, and our record is 10-5. and five. So I think that that's a huge X factor. And if we are a 50-win team, I mean, to be able to have that kind of record in, in those road trips, having winning road trips every single time when you go on the road for five straight games, I mean, that shows a lot of resolve, a lot of tough, toughness from this team. And I think they de- deserve a ton of credit, especially with the adversity they've faced recently, losing Malcolm and Jeremy, Doug McDermott, you know, is a big key to their road success. And with him out, that's a huge loss. And I just think all the guys you talked about earlier, Jakar, Edmund, uh, Justin Holiday has just been such an underrated aspect to this team this year. And and I think all those guys deserve a ton of credit. And, you know, obviously, you know, before we go, Demonis Sabonis, I don't know if you know, broke the franchise record. 50th double-double tonight, so congratulations to him. Find it funny that we don't even talk about him getting 20 points, 17 boards, 6 assists anymore. That's where he's at in his career. We don't even talk about that anymore, but congrats to him because that's a big milestone for him. Absolutely it is, and you know the Pacers now are just two games back of the Miami Heat for the four seed, and the Pacers play their next five of six at home, and they do get Miami in there coming up, so I think this is a good opportunity. We saw last time the Pacers had a nice little home stretch. They did not play well. Hopefully, they do a little bit better now that they've got some momentum heading into that. They're playing well. Victor's back with the team, hopefully, at a consistent rate. We're still unsure of what Brogdon's injury is going to uh, how long it's going to keep him out. But you mentioned Aaron Holiday, Victor Oladipo. I'm excited to see that lineup. I, I like the ability of their – I like that they have the ability to play faster, where I, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like Brogdon can kind of slow things down and be methodical. And it's nice to have someone that's steady and doesn't get in control, but it's also nice to have someone that can push the pace, and, and this will give Oladipo more of a chance to be the primary ball handler. And I think – you know, even though some of the games we have coming up are going to be tough, I think this is a good opportunity for Oladipo just to get more comfortable with being the ball, uh, the guy with the ball in his hand uh, coming back from the injury because he's been playing a lot of off-ball, and I think now he's going to be able to get a chance to run that point guard. So, Jake, final thoughts before I let you go, and, uh, you know, just what what are your feelings on this team right now? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, we talked about it at nauseum. This was an excellent road trip. I think a key road trip for the confidence of this team down the stretch. Like you said, I think this uh, stretch with Aaron and Victor being able to play together is important because, you know, we don't know how Malcolm is going to be on a game-to-game basis. And I, I, in my heart of hearts, I think that is, if this team is going to go anywhere, they're going to be relying on that backcourt more than maybe we would hope. And, and you know, with Aaron, is, is at a crossroads in his Pacers career as well? Um, you know, so I think that, that this run really can cement him as a guy that the Pacers take a long look to bring back on a long-term deal as, you know, at worst insurance for Malcolm Brogdon, you know, because again, with Malcolm's injury history, we need to have a good insurance policy. And if Aaron and Victor can show good chemistry and play well together and continue to win the way they did tonight, I think he really has a good opportunity to cement himself as a guy that's in line for an extension. And, you know, in terms of the team overall, I'm still, you know, wanting to see how they do down the stretch, but I'm really encouraged from what I've seen from the front court. I think Domas and Miles are really starting to play off each other really well now they've hit 
each other, you know, in clutch situations and, you know, using their ability to block shots and rebound, I think has been huge for the defense. And, you know, again, I really liked what I saw from Aaron and Victor in the backcourt. So hopefully we can get a couple more quality wins to start to feel good about the directions they're heading. But this is like the arc, in my opinion, early in the season where they were losing games early on and then they started to close out these tough wins against good teams. So hopefully we kind of see that continue to build like we did at the beginning of the season when we were 31 and 17 right before Vic came back. And I'm hopeful that that's kind of where we're at at this point in this Victor comeback saga opportunity coming up within the next week or two to be able to eat into that and really set our sights on a top three seed. Absolutely. Well, you guys can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake Elrod 44. And once again, happy birthday to you, Jake. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on, Alex. And it is Monday, so you know who's joining me right now, the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much, Alex. You know, it, it, this road trip, I think, has so far been terrific. Another game to go, but, uh, you know, I think things are getting a little bit exciting for the Pacers. Yeah, I know. There's no doubt about it, obviously, throughout this road trip. We haven't played Dallas uh, as we are recording right now. We have not played Dallas yet, but you got three wins on the road. You lost to Milwaukee, which was just a brutal loss, and... I think that was expected because Milwaukee right. was coming off a loss to Miami the night before, so or the or the day before I believe a couple of days before that. So it's one of those things where the Pacers really just you know have taken care of business when they needed to. But unfortunately, I want to start things off talking about the the news of Malcolm Brogdon. So what exactly was that in, injury again? Well, it's got something to do with a quad complex. Okay. of muscles and he's listed week to week and i don't really know what that means for the pacers i know with the colts it means two to four weeks you could kind of win pagano or or when reich say week to week you, you can book it as a two to four week deal so if this is two to four weeks with vic still kind of recovering from the uh the swelling on the knee played the other night in chicago but you uh you know what all this all this talk about lance it kind of makes sense because they need bodies yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. So we haven't even got into it yet, but of course, uh, on Sunday we have seen the news that the Pacers are in negotiations with Lance Stevenson. So if by Monday morning there's a signing on that, uh, we will know more details. But for now, we know that the Pacers are still in, in talks with Lance. And, you know, Jeremy Lamb goes down, Malcolm Brogdon's injured, Victor's not fully healthy. What are you going to do? I mean, you're you're running out of bodies there at the guard position. And he knows all the coaches. They know him. This coaching staff has been static since Lance was last here. Some of the guys on the team, they know how to play with Lance and and have done that. So this isn't like a jarring addition to the lot, to the roster that's going to cause a lot of upheaval and a lot of, you know, you're going to have to assuage egos in the locker room and coaches are going to have to figure out how a guy rolls. Lance is going to be kind of a plug-and-play guy. And with 18, 19 games left in the season, it's exactly what you need. Plus, he reinvigorates the fan base a little bit. Everybody loves Lance. It's so interesting how people took to Lance. There's a uh, a real kind of link but in, in an affinity from Pacers fans to Lance Stevenson that just uh, it doesn't exist anywhere else. And so him coming back here, you know, it's going to put butts in seats when he reports for the first time, assuming this deal gets done. You know what? Fans are going to go crazy, and sixty some odd games into the season, we need a little bit of that. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. We need this energy. It's been kind of dull recently. It's like you know, you're beating the 
the bad teams. You're losing to the teams that are really good and when they're healthy. And, you know, you just want to see something different. And I think that that's definitely what Lance brings to the table now. As far yep. as his skill goes, uh, what what exactly does he – or how exactly does he fit in with this team? Do you like, you know, what he brings to the table? Well, there's some things that he does really well. He's not a terribly good shooter. We all know that. Not a good shooter from deep. But he, what, what he does do is when he is motivated, he's a pretty good defender on the wing. Mm-hmm. And he's always been a good rebounder. There are things that he provides the last two years – uh, 17, 18 with the Pacers, and then 18, 19 with the Lakers. He he really played reasonably well. I mean his his statistics were nice. His uh, his win shares nice. I thought he was mostly – we used to talk about bad Lance, good Lance. I think the last time he was here, we saw most of the good Lance. Yeah, I agree with that. It was kind of uh, shocking the Pacers declined his team option, specifically since it was so cheap, and he ended up going to the Lakers and, you know, kind of became a air guitar star out there on a team yeah. that wasn't doing anything, and then ultimately that got him over to China. So we saw him not too long ago back in Indianapolis at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. The fans were crazy excited when he came and then lance was sending out cryptic videos on instagram yeah uh you know trying just to really tease the fans because i think it was more of a tease the fans but also like hey you know pacers organization i'm ready to play if you guys need me so uh i think there was a little bit of both of that but i'm excited just to see him out there i will never forget when he came back against the toronto raptors a couple years ago and the pacers really needed that energy to win those games because they don't win out i believe they don't even make the playoffs that year. So Lance comes back, and I tell you what, Kent, that place, that arena, was probably more electric for Lance's return than they were when Paul George returned from the injury. He Well, Lance has got charisma, and Paul completely lacks charisma. So there's a good reason for that, despite the, you know, the inverse proportionality to their quality of play. Mm-hmm. Lance is likable. Paul was never likable. And and so people just and you can read Lance's face, right? When Lance is happy, he looks happy. When Lance isn't happy, he doesn't look happy. He is uh, completely transparent in his behavior, and we like that around here. So you know, good again. And you know what? From a shooting perspective, last year he was a thirty-seven percent guy for the Lakers from beyond the arc. So he got a little bit better with the Lakers. It it might have helped that he was playing with LeBron. And and so LeBron is taking a lot of defensive attention away from Lance, but he he didn't shoot badly last year. So maybe he can come in here, give a little bit of an infusion of energy, a little bit of change of pace, get the fans a little bit amped, and uh, you know maybe that maybe that helps this team win a couple of games that they wouldn't have otherwise won because they're in a position now, two games behind the Heat, a half game ahead of the Seventy Sixers where they've really got an opportunity, you know, it's still there with just, I know we're recording this with 19 games left, but 18 games left now, and Mm -hmm. depending on what they do against the Mavericks, they're in pretty good shape for that four slot where they could arrest uh, home court advantage for the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I think that'd be huge, especially with a guy like Lance on the team. I mean, it is what, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm just excited to see, how he fits because I think there are some question marks. How does he play off ball? How does he play next to a guy like TJ McConnell, who was a non three point shooter, even though he did hit one 
on Friday night, I believe it was against the Bulls. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's like, where does he fit in with this team? Obviously, he's not going to start. But with, I mean, if you're looking at a back backcourt with Brogdon being out in that second unit, you're looking at Edmund Sumner. Uh, oh, McDermott's yeah. hurt too as well with that sore foot. So we'll see how long he's out. But you're looking at Edmund Sumner, Lance Stevenson, and McConnell with Sabonis and Holl- uh, Justin Holiday. That does not sound very scary and not a lot of three-point shooting out there. And it's really too bad because Doug McDermott was shooting his ass off, right? I mean, he was just <laughs> money in the bank. And and for him to go down at this point when, you know, he was just kind of becoming that player that everybody hoped that McDermott would be with the Pacers when he signed here a year ago uh, is really too bad. But it, they do need bodies. And, and Lance coming in, you know, and don't, uh, you know, limit Lance and and don't think of Lance as the Lance that's been here previous. Lance is playing for money, yeah. right? Lance, it, how he plays if he signs with the Pacers, you know what? If he plays well, he's going to make himself a lot of money next year. If he doesn't play well and isn't a team first guy, he's going to cost himself a lot of money. He knows what's at stake from a business perspective. And so I would expect Lance to be as good as Lance can be. So my last Lance question before we move on to other basketball stuff regarding this team, do you think that this is probably the last tenure we see with Lance, or do you think that they possibly bring him on? I mean, do they bring him on next year? Do they they continue this? I I don't think you bring him back next year. I I don't think there's a spot in the rotation for him. Mm -hmm. You know, if everybody's healthy, if Lamb comes back healthy – Although that's a big question mark with the injury that he suffered. Brogdon's long-term health, hell, I don't know when he's going to be. That guy has suffered more injuries to more different parts of his body than anybody I've ever seen in a single NBA season. Mm -hmm. Victor, can you count on Victor? If all these guys project as healthy next year, I don't think there's any room at the end for Lance Stevenson. But while he's here for the third go-round, again, if he signs that deal – and if the Pacers offer him that deal, you know what? Um, good for everybody. It, it, it's going to be fun, and that's the name of the game. Long, but uh, our man Jordan S underscore three 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 wants to know if we did resign Justin Holiday, what do you think the deal would look like? Yeah, I, I, you cut out just for like the last three seconds oh. of the question. If we re-sign Justin Holiday, what do you think? What uh, the deal would look like? Oh wow, that is a really interesting question. Um, Justin Holiday, I, I think, has been far better than I anticipated he was going to be. Who who could go get you buckets? periodically but i had no idea he was going to be this kind of leader that he was going to be this kind of teammate and and really i think as you look at justin holiday and his statistics you know i mean justin's a guy he's played i think in every game um he's playing 25 minutes a game he's averaging 8.3 points he's uh i think he's been terrific i think he's been pretty good defense be better than you thought Mm -hmm. i don't know if he's uh you know, a two-year, fifteen million dollar guy. Maybe, maybe it's a little, maybe it's a little overpriced. Maybe two years, ten million. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I he's as good as he's going to be. You yeah. know that. But I, I think he's been a key component to what this team wants to do, and a key component for his brother 
trying to get him kind of schooled up as to be kind of a competent NBA player behaviorally. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see what that deal looks like as well because if he plays really well in the playoffs, there could be teams that offer him more money than the Pacers are able to even offer him. And I also wonder, would he be willing to take a hometown discount to be with his brother Aaron? Uh, If he likes it here, if he really likes the way the organization is run, his role on the team, being that veteran guy, does he want to stay in Indiana? That's also something because he's been a player that's moved around a lot. Maybe he wants to settle down. So, you know, I'm... I actually don't think that the two for 15 sounds too bad because I think right now he's making around four to five million. So I think he'll get a little bit of a pay raise because of the success he's had, but I'm not sure how significant and I'm sure the Pacers do have a cutoff, but I think two for 15 sounds, sounds pretty reasonable, Kent, but let's move on. We're going to check here with, uh, he said, just call me Smith. So uh, Smith wants to know, does the Brogdon injury allow Edmund Sumner back into the rotation? Question one, question Question two, do you think we have the possibility of Oladipo playing some spot point guard since Aaron is better off the ball? So I'll let you uh, tackle whichever one you want to tackle first. Yeah, I, I think that that would be the the second one first. I think Oladipo can play some point. He likes to handle it. He, he's your primary playmaker. He's the dynamic guy. I, I think it makes all kinds of sense to have him be a primary ball handler. And I don't think that there's a point guard, a wing, uh, you know, a two or a three in the league that he can't defend. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense. I think what the Pacers really enjoy is like being a little bit positionless in the way they deploy. So, um, you know, I, 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 maybe the, the question is a little bit arcane from that perspective, but I, I think certainly he can play some point. And, and what was the other thing? It was, uh, does the Brogdon injury allow Edmund oh, Sumner yeah. back into the rotation? Well, I hope not because Edmund can't defend me, you know, so that's problematic. I mean, from an offensive perspective, he's not terrible, but defensively, he's the guy that people immediately pick on. If he comes into the game with meaningful minutes, teams, they scheme immediately at him as the weakness on the floor. He's skinny, uh, and and he's a guy who's not quick enough necessarily to defend a a quick wing. I, I don't like Edmund Sumner as part of the rotation I, he's a plenty nice guy but if they've and that's why you're thinking about signing lance i mean if edmund sumner was thought of by the pacers as being a guy who could fill time on the wing play 20 minutes a game and not get you killed nobody be nobody would be having a conversation with lance stevenson yeah i mean maybe but if you recall at the beginning of the season he was nate's first wing off the bench uh, yeah, to start it. So I, I think Nate likes him. I think that he's actually uh, maybe he is a little bit thinner, but I think that he's actually created some nice plays defensively for the Pacers, getting his hands in the passing lanes. He's quick. He can get to the basket. I think there are n- nice different aspects about his game that I do like. I don't think he's a great offensive shooter. Uh, we've seen some of the shots he's taken and where they've landed, and it's not been pretty. Uh, he's very streaky in that aspect of his game. So. Personally, for me, like I'm okay with seeing Edmund Sumner in the rotation, but I mean, at the same time, he's not like uh, gonna play a significant amount of minutes. I think, you know, eight to ten minutes, twelve minutes maybe, just to kind of give some energy off the bench might be beneficial. You know, the whole Lance coming back thing is interesting, and I think that you might be onto something there with them bringing Lance back. It might mean that Sumner 
is someone they don't trust, but maybe that's more for the playoffs because of his size and, like you mentioned, teams attacking him on that defensive end. But I don't think he's, like, horrific defensively. That's just me watching. I think that he's spotty. I think that he's okay. I don't when – I, when I think of Edmund Sumner, I think of a guy that is – Always going to be struggling to get minutes on a good team uh, rotation-wise. I mean, for crying out loud, when fully healthy, Aaron Holiday wasn't getting in the rotation. And Aaron Holiday, to me, is uh, leaps and bounds better than Edmund Sumner. So uh, right. that's just, just kind of where I'm at. I get what you're saying, uh, and I agree with part of it, but I don't necessarily think he's like horrific defensively like you mentioned. He'll make plays, but okay. he'll also make negative plays. That's fair. And and victory will favor the team that makes the fewer mistakes. And mm-hmm. Edmund Sumner will make mistakes in reading things defensively. Sometimes it works out to his benefit. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and I mean, Edmund Sumner is a terrific basketball player, right? Or he wouldn't be earning NBA money. True. But if he's a part of your rotation, I think you're going to lose. You're going to lose a significant number of games. I, I don't think he's the answer defensively. Uh, for the Pacers, and I, I agree that Nate at the beginning of the season liked Edmund Sumner, and then as the season has evolved forward, he has liked him less and less. Well, he also got injured. I think that played a big part in it, too, uh, because when he went down with the injury, that's when everything started changing for the rotation. But that's besides the point. Obviously, he wasn't good enough to come back and take his position back uh, when fully healthy. So let's move on. Uh sure. We got a couple here that are kind of similar, so I'll read both of these. Uh, Mark Schindler, uh, at the underscore full court, he said, It seems pretty basic, but the idea of Sabonis becoming a league average three-point shooter on two or three attempts per game is pretty uh, tantalizing. I think if he really worked at it and getting into the flow of shooting them, he could do it, uh, could really expand the offense. And then Naptown Hoops, uh, he said, If Sabonis develops a three-point shot, about where in the league would you rank him as a player? So, First, just talk Oof. about Sabonis maybe getting up a few more attempts per game and then talk about uh, if he were to develop a three-point shot, uh, where would you rank him at in uh, in the NBA? You know, here's the thing, because you, you, you can't have him do both, right? You can't have him be underneath as your primary, your primary offensive rebound guy and have him shoot threes. So you, you've got to kind of pick your poison. I, I think that Domas Sabonis is an elite-level rebounder. I don't think he's an elite-level three-point shooter or capable of becoming an elite-level three-point shooter. He could be good. He could be maybe a 35 37% guy shooting threes. He could be a terrific stretch five, but that's not the way the Pacers play because then you completely you nullify the advantage you have with Domas being such a, a commanding rebounder of the basketball. So I, I think they've kind of picked their poison. And and they want they want Domas to be where he is, and not fire up threes. Because if you do, if you if you station him twenty five feet from the bucket, he ain't gonna get a lot of looks at offensive rebounds and putbacks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a fair point. But I also think why why would it not hurt for him to take a couple a game? I don't think if he takes two or three a game, that no, that's really fine. Good. You know that that allows him to stretch his game out a little bit and make people respect him on that. So now they're going to be more, you know, if he starts knocking those down at a consistent rate, then teams are really going to have their hands full with him. So I think, you know, he could be able, he could do both. I don't see them, you know, force feeding him like they do with miles in the pick and pop. I still think him being more of a pick and roller or a dribble handoff guy is still something that he should do. But I think at times 
he should be able to, you know, spot up whether it's a dribble handoff to McDermott or McDermott's driving because they're overplaying the three and Sabonis stays out. Where I think, you know, if he gets a couple open looks like that, if he can knock those down at a at a good rate, I think that makes teams have a harder time defending the Pacers. And we know Sabonis is not a great dribbler, but he's a really good decision maker. So I don't think he's going to become a guy that just forces a lot of threes. But if he could develop a three-point shot and be consistent, I mean, I'm saying he's, I mean, I don't even know where he's at right now as far as a uh, big man in the NBA, but I'd say if he can get a consistent three-point shot, I'd definitely have him in my top 10. I would too. He's, he averages 12 and a half rebounds a game and he takes 1.1 three-point attempts. He makes 25% of them. He mm. is also an insanely good passer. Oh yeah, He is so good at hitting guys in stride as they attack the bucket. I, I like everything that he does. I, I know that we you'd love to see him be a 24-point-a-game guy and knock down a couple of threes a game. It, maybe if he played for the Warriors, that would be the role that he'd have. But I he he just makes winning plays. And, and whatever it takes to win, I think that that's what Sabonis is all about. And so wishing, wishing for him to become competent at something that he doesn't do very often, I get it. And if I was his agent, uh, I would talk to the Pacers and I would talk to Sabonis about taking more three-pointers. But, man, that dude, like how many games do the Pacers lose because of anything that Sabonis does? And how many games do they win because of his level of tenacity on the boards and his ability to dish and set good screens in that pick and pick and roll? I mean, he he has been terrific this year. Maybe you know what? I mean, he's 23 years old, right? So at the age of 23, almost 24, he'll be 24 in May. You know, he's still got development to do, and he might be a different player at the age of 28 in four years than he is today. And that might be a part of that arsenal, and I hope that it is. Yeah, well, let's let's move on. We have two more questions here. Sure. Well, two more uh, people that have submitted questions. This person has two questions. And their first question is, what is the biggest key to unlocking this roster's talent? This is Billy Osborne. Uh, he wants to know, what's the biggest key to unlocking this roster's talent? He said, I feel they are more talented than what we are seeing this year. And he wants to have an excuse other than injuries for an answer. So, uh, well. There you go, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. Here's the answer, but you don't get to use it. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, here's the thing. All right, Alex. And uh, from my perspective, that question itself reveals what's really, really fun about this team. And that's that these guys do whatever is necessary to win. And sometimes that requires guys to subvert their personal needs in favor of the team's needs. And I think that that is why the Pacers right now are at 38 and 25 instead of, you know, flirting with 500 and, and kind of being maybe just on the inside and maybe in danger of falling out of the playoff chase because these guys aren't selfish. They're not saying, hey, you know, I can shoot threes. Have me shoot threes. Mm -hmm. They're doing what's necessary to get this team wins. I don't think that these guys figuring out how to unlock their individual talents is the road to success for them to, you know, post more wins. I, I think those guys making the conscious decision, you know what, this is what my team needs in order to compete. This is what I'm going to give them. I think that's one of the special attributes of this team. Yeah, it's it's a really tough question when you can't use the injury as an excuse. But uh, as far as what's the biggest key to unlocking this roster's talent, 
is um, I don't really know. I think that it's just continuing to buy into what the coaching staff is asking of them to do, and maybe maybe it is bringing in Lance Stevenson, someone to ruffle some feathers, add some uh, much-needed energy. I, I do like the fact, we talked about this with Aaron Holiday. I like the fact that he never thinks that he commits a foul. I like the fact that he gets yeah. animated. I feel like too many guys on this team are just so passive-aggressive with their personalities. Uh, you'll see T.J. Warren every once in a while. I think he almost got himself a technical foul. If he didn't against Milwaukee, he was super upset about a non-foul call. And I, I kind of like when I see guys get upset about things and not just go through the motions. I want to see some chippiness, and maybe that that's something that Lance could do. Maybe he could come in there and ruffle some feathers and just bring some extra needed energy, and maybe the guys can feed off that. I mean, McConnell's been doing his part, but imagine McConnell and Lance out there together, you know, just diving on the floor for loose balls and just, you know, yeah. Jakar Sampson coming down the lane, Lance throwing a no-look pass to him for a dunk. Uh, I think the, the crowd is going to erupt uh, at that moment. But the biggest question he asked here is a two-part question. He wants to know, who do we keep for next year and who do we let go? So that's a pretty big question there, Kent. Uh, it's it's going to be tough. Okay, let, let me go back to the original question for just a second because I think that there's another flaw in that question, and that's that it sounds like the guy thinks that somehow there are players on this team that are not playing up to their potential. Before this season started, if if I told you that T.J. Warren was going to be as prolific a scorer as he's been, you'd probably be happy with that, right? Mm-hmm. You would have said, okay, that exceeds my expectations. T.J. McConnell has exceeded expectations. Um, I I think that Jeremy Lamb, prior to the injury, probably exceeded expectations. Domas Sabonis being an all-star. Nobody at the beginning of the year, I don't think, thought he was going to be an all-star. Maybe Miles Turner is a guy you point to and say, well, you know, we sure would like to see him score 15 a game and go get eight rebounds. You know, but other than that, I think these guys have, have sort of met their expectations or exceeded them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the, the other question, I think I I don't know why anybody other than Justin, if somebody rolls out kind of a Brinks truck uh, for him or not a maybe a small Brinks truck and pays him more than what the Pacers are willing to pay him. I don't know why you let any of these guys go. I, yeah. They're all virtually under contract. I I don't need to make a bunch of trades in the off season. I'm really happy with this. We've had so much chaos right with this roster because of contracts and whatnot that we've had to say goodbye to guys and hello to a bunch of other guys. I think really stability is the key for this team in the off season. So I don't think, I think it's going to be a real quiet off season for Pritchard and, and the guys. Yeah. It's one of those things where we love to see transactions because we're just so hungry for news yeah. and we're so hungry for transactions. But you know, I forget it might've been Jackie McMullen or somebody was saying, might've, I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about, the the Celtics back with Larry Bird, they just felt like they were ahead of the game. It might have even been uh, back in Bill Russell's time. Might have been on Bill Simmons' podcast. Uh, he said Bill Simmons felt like they or uh, not Bill Simmons. Uh, Bill Russell said that he felt like their team was always ahead of everybody because of the roster continuity, and that's something I think that we overlook and value is team chemistry because. Look at the teams that won a lot with the Pacers earlier. I mean, it was just consistently the same guys, the same core. You might add another like role player into it, but you're not trading, you know, a starting player for just just to make a move. You're not just making moves to make moves. And I think 
Personally, like you said, if, if Holiday's too much, let him walk because you can't afford it. You're going to have the mid-level exception. Bring in another guy that can maybe do something similar to what Holiday did and, and just continue to grow from within. The core of this team is super young, and that's why the Pacers front office built this team the way they did this summer. A lot of young guys that can grow together, and I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I totally agree, and and I think they've done a good job at that. And I, I think that this was this past off season was the big one where you were going to see the change. And I think that this thing is solid moving forward. And I mean, you've got for this not next year, but the year after, you've still got Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner, Warren, Lamb, Holiday, Aaron Holiday, Gogo, my guy, and Sumner <laughs> under contract. And and so again, yeah, and you're still paying Monte Ellis. Uh, two and a quarter million dollars. Uh, hopefully, that's the final year. Veteran <laughs> leadership. Have right to there. Pay him. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. But you've got you you've got a roster that's really going to be able to to move forward with with the Pacers. You know, for a number of years, a multitude of years, and I think that's a that's going to be a great source of strength for this team as long as the guys can stay healthy. Absolutely. So the last question here it is from our man Slick. At Rick underscore Kelly, he wants to know, can the Pacers sustain without Brogdon? If so, who will fill his void? Well, that's a great question. I think it's going to be kind of filling the void by committee, right? Yeah. If you're talking about replacing the points and, and the rebounds and, and the assists, because he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. And and as a result, I think it's going to be, you know, replacing him by committee. Um I I think it's going to be really difficult. I think he's a terrific leader. He understands how to communicate with guys. And and so the sooner he's back on the court, the better as long as he's healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that there's an opportunity for us to see Justin Holiday get more minutes. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I hope so. Yeah. I would like to see Justin Holiday get more minutes at the two guard, maybe with Vic at the one just to go a little bit bigger, kind of how they envisioned already with Brogdon at the one. Uh, Aaron Holiday has been really good, even though he's not been getting a ton of uh, points up. I still think he's been really good and really figured out a way to be productive without having to score the basketball, which is something we wouldn't have been saying, you know, three or four months ago. It, it, it just continued to develop growth by him. And then, of course, TJ McConnell, someone that we both love, has just been that steady hand all year long. And I think we saw it in the Milwaukee game. He was honestly better on the court that game than Brogdon was just because of the way he was playing with energy, the the hustle he was playing with. He brings a different style to the team. And I think that having a veteran leader like that out there, like McConnell, you know, those three guys can really do their best to fill the void. But I don't think any of them can fully replace what Brogdon uh, brings to the table. Yeah, I think that Holiday's one of those guys you got to work defensive matchups in your favor as you can but offensively i you know what maybe maybe with brogdon being an outstanding defensive player and being gone maybe you do up the pace a little bit because you're you're going to need to maybe maybe you're going to be a better team pushing the basketball rather than working through the half court as much as you do and not be as, as much a plotting team as they've kind of been if if you migrate toward justin holiday getting those minutes yeah and there's no doubt about it well can we've talked for a lot longer than we usually do on this episode but <laughs> it's always good to have fans uh chime in 
ask questions and us to talk about them. Whether they agree or not, let us know. If there's anything that you disagree with that we said, let us know on Setting the Pace 3. You can find me at AlexGoldenNBA. And, of course, Kent is at Kent Sterling. And we're going to be right back, and I'm going to do uh, a segment solo here to close out the show. But, Kent, good talking to you as always. Good talking to you. And you know what? If people think somehow we were wrong, they need to look in the mirror and decide to learn a little bit more about basketball because we're never wrong, Alex. <laughs> All right. I'm going to just, I'm not going to say that I'm never wrong because I'm, <laughs> I'm open to say that I am wrong because I've been wrong before. But I, I would say I think I know more than I know less, if that makes sense. <laughs> Well, there you go. (laughs) All right, everybody. We will talk to you guys next week. So I wanted to look at the eight playoff teams in the Eastern Conference and give three words to describe each team. So first up, the first place, Milwaukee Bucks. Fear the deer. That's their slogan, and I think that they have an incredible identity. They have a great player, the back-to-back MVP, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They have surrounded him with size, shooting, and incredible defense. Brooke Lopez, a great defender. Chris Middleton, a really solid defender. Eric Bledsoe, a good defender. Wesley Matthews, another good defender. This team has got all the right pieces around Giannis. That's exactly what they wanted to do. They've got their identity figured out. They're going to be tough to beat, and there's a reason that they're on pace to win, I think, close to 70 games this year. So, yes, they are the team to beat. They're hard to beat at home. And, yes, we've seen Milwaukee struggle with certain matchups in the Eastern Conference, but ultimately I think – They have a chip on their shoulder. They could have easily been in the NBA Finals last year. If Game 3 goes just a little bit different, they were up 2-0 against Toronto. I think Milwaukee is a team to beat. Now, I did pick the field uh, against Kent Sterling last week, but I'm just telling you, fear the deer. They are good. Moving on to the Raptors. Three words to describe them. Great without Kawhi. A lot of people, even myself, were not sure about what this Raptors team was going to look like, what they were going to be. I, for one, thought they were going to trade their veterans in Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, and try to build from their young guys in Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, that group. But they have just been incredible. Uh, despite injuries to Gasol, they've just continued to win games, and they're in second place in the Eastern Conference for a reason. Kyle Lowry, unbelievable season for him. They've got versatility. They've got experience from last year, and they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. People were counting these guys out just because Kawhi and Danny Green left. They're like, listen, we're still a really good basketball team. Oh, yeah, and they've also got possibly the coach of the year and Nick Nurse. So let's move on to the Boston Celtics. Three years for them, not title contenders. Might be a little bit harsh. Don't buy this team being a title contending team. They've got size issues. <laughs> Daniel Tye, six foot seven center, really good defensively. Can he hold up in matchups where they have to go against the size of Milwaukee, the size of Philadelphia? Uh, I don't think they can. I mean, we don't know if they're going to play Philadelphia, but if they don't go against them, I mean, it's just going to be tough for Daniel Tyson. I think the Pacers even have a little bit of a size advantage against Boston. You know, Kemba Walker, injury problems so far. Uh, We're not sure what that's going to look like. Uh, Gordon Hayward, been up and down all year long. Just a guy that you can't really rely on to be great every night. Jason Tatum is the only great player they have on their team, and he has been really awesome. But their bench depth is terrible. I don't like it at all. Outside of Marcus Smart, they have very inexperienced bench. And Enos Cantor, who's you know famously known for can't play Cantor from Billy Donovan, don't trust that team. So let's move on to the Miami Heat. 
the surprise team. Yeah, nobody expected the Heat to be this good. We thought they might take a little bit of a jump with Jimmy Butler, but no, they have completely changed things around. They got rid of Whiteside, put Bam Adebayo into the starting center position. He's become an all-star. Myers Leonard, they traded for him. He's been really good for this team. Kelly Olenek's been good at times. Duncan Robinson, outstanding shooter. Tyler Hero, outstanding shooter. Kendrick Nunn, unbelievable point guard form. Then they go out and trade for Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, and Andre Iguodala, pretty much just for Justice Winslow and James Johnson. So, I mean, really, and Deion Waiters, of course, too. So they got rid of guys that weren't even in the rotation, a guy that was hurt for three guys that they want to play with their small ball lineup. They're They're going pretty small here. Like the experience, this team is going to be tough to play in the playoffs. Trust me, uh, Eric Spolstra coach teams with this level of talent. They're going to be tough. Moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers, three words to describe them, to be determined. Yes, we don't know what Philadelphia can be because we have not seen them fully healthy for this last stretch of the playoffs, or the regular season, I mean. So you got Ben Simmons with a back injury. Very scary. Does not look like it's going to be good. If he misses the playoffs, I think that really hurts the Sixers' chances of being, you know, what a lot of people predicted to be an Eastern Conference Finals or Finals uh, contender. Joel Embiid, an incredible basketball player. No matter if you like him or not, the dude can be the best player on the court in almost any series outside of the Bucks, where Giannis will more than likely be the better player. But Embiid can hold his own. He's that good. They've got tons of size. They're shooting. They got a little bit better by the trade deadline. Not great shooting, but still, they've, they've got really good pieces here. They're a team that I would be afraid of in the playoffs. So let's skip the Pacers. Let's go to the Nets. Three words for the Nets, a year away. Mediocre talent. They just fired their coach on Saturday, Kenny Atkinson. Uh, a lot of, lot of uh, leadership issues, in my opinion, here. Looks like Durant and Irving are calling the shots, and they're not even playing this year. Like, just let the year finish out if you're not even playing. And, uh, you know, They've got good young pieces with Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Liver, Jared Allen. What are they going to do with those guys? We don't know about the future, but for this year, I think they're good enough to maybe if they're playing Toronto in a two-seven series, maybe win a game. But they're not winning more than they're not winning a series at all. They're not anywhere close. But a year away, get Kyrie back, get Durant back, see what happens next year. Last, uh, lastly, before we get to the Pacers, Magic. It's time for a change. Uh, so time for change is what my three words are for the Magic. They're inconsistent. They don't have an identity, and Jonathan Isaac is hurt. Um, Vucevic, I don't love Vucevic as a player. I think that his style of play does not fit what the Orlando Magic have built around it. Uh, Markel Fultz is awesome. Jonathan Isaac is injured, but he's awesome when he's healthy. Aaron Gordon is a player I think could fit with that team without Vucevic, but if they want to keep Vuce, uh, Vuce, Vuce, they're going to have to trade Aaron Gordon, I think, this summer. They need a better shooting guard. Evan Fournier is good, not great. Very average guy. I'm not in love with this Orlando team. think they've got potential on the roster, but I also think they have some pieces they need to move to figure out the identity of this team. It's not a knock on Orlando because I don't love the the coaching style of Steve Clifford for this team. I think defensively that's fine if they want to get better there, but that's not the, the area they need to get better at. I think it's offensively. Uh, just a lot of hodgepodge pieces, nothing great. And outside of Jonathan Isaac, this team needs to figure out its identity whether that's to keep Markel Fultz or not. So let's move back to the Pacers now. Uh, they're in the fifth seed right now on Saturday when I'm recording this, so we'll see where they're at come Monday morning. But for the Pacers, my three roots for them, good, not great. A little bit harsh here, yes, but if you look at the Pacers in any of this first, any of these first-round matchups, they do not have the best player on the court. Jason Tatum will be better than any of the, the Pacers players they have. If you play the Heat, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, arguably better. Of course, the Sixers, Ben Simmons, if healthy, Joel Embiid better than anybody on the Pacers right now. Uh, Oladipo is not healthy. 
So, I mean, he's he's healthy to play, but he's not who he was a couple of years ago. Brogdon constantly in and out of the lineup. Um, TJ Warren has gotten banged up recently, uh, but I don't expect that to hold him back. You know, it's just Jeremy Lamb losing him. I think the Pacers were a really strong team, really good at every position, not great. They have really solid depth, but I just don't trust. I think that you need great players to win in the playoffs, and depth can only take you so far. Depth is great for the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, you need great players. And as much as you guys know, I love DeMontis Sabonis. He's a good player. He's not a great player. He might even be a really good player. Same with TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, Oladipo. They're all really good, but they're not great. They're not guys that are going to carry a franchise to an Eastern Conference Finals or an NBA Finals. I mean, they the Pacers, if you look back at how the roster was constructed with David West, Roy Hibbert, George Hill, Paul George, Danny Granger, Lance Stevenson, those teams, they had a great player in Paul George, even though we don't like Paul George because he requested out. He is a great player. He's a top 15, top 20 player for a reason, and he can do it on both ends of the court. Victor Oladipo, we were really believing that he could become that, but unfortunately the injuries have kind of put him back a little bit. So we're looking more forward to next year to see what this team can be, if they can make any moves. But when you have two centers starting, they've been doing a lot better finishing games. I want to see what they do in the playoffs. The lack of bench depth is what I think as far as great talent because you're, you're just so undersized at that power forward center position. Outside of Sabonis Turner, they're getting foul trouble. You're really hurting for backup minutes. I mean, you're not going to trust Goga in a playoff series. It's, it's just one of those things where I, I believe the Pacers can win a first-round series, but I don't know if they will. I think they can. I don't know if they will. So uh, they're good, not great, and I think that the next step for the Pacers is to figure out a way – to get a great player on this team, whether it's by trading a player to get up in the draft and get a great player or, you know, looking into free agency, looking into a trade where a player is available. I think they need just one more great piece to be really a serious threat. I don't know what that is, but I just don't think with this roster construction, the way that it is that this team will ever be anything more than a really good. So anyway, guys, hope you like that segment. Let me hear your thoughts. Sorry if I was a little too harsh on the boys in blue and gold, but from what I've seen, I just want to see them, you know, they're not on the same level as a lot of these really these teams ahead of them. Uh, the Sixers are an exception because they've had injuries, but Boston, Miami, Toronto, Milwaukee, they're just, they've got better players, and, and that's that's the difference. Players win series in playoff games, and don't matter how good your team is in the regular season, you got to win in playoff games. And I think that the lack of three-point shooting, the lack of production from behind the arc and at the free throw line will hurt the Pacers in the long run. But I'm still excited to see what they can do. So anyway, that's it for this segment, and let's wrap things up. All righty, everybody, we are back. And just want to close things out here by letting you know you can find all of our great work at PacersTalk.net. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. You can follow my co-host, Michael Focci, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And just let Focci know that his Bradley Beal Washington Wizards aren't going to be doing anything this year, even though they're at ninth place in the Eastern Conference. But that's it, everybody. Long episode. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.